Hello, we would like to welcome you to another episode of Reading Across the Curriculum, a book talk series on our Changemaker Conversations in Education podcast channel of the Alberta Regional Professional Development Consortia, or ARPDC. We focus on providing educators in English language arts K-12 and educational leaders and educators across the curriculum with information, books, and resources through conversation with outstanding educators, authors, and librarian book talk souls to support our work with students and with each other. As always, we welcome your suggestions for guests on our podcast. You can email us at resources at arpdc.ab.ca. I'm Rick Gilson, Director of Southern Alberta Regional Office of ARPDC, and my co-host in this series is Charlie Craig of both the Central and Northeastern Regional Offices of ARPDC. Charlie, how are you doing today? You bet. The sun is shining, which to me always um, fills me up. And I always joke with people that I must be solar powered because there's something about the sunshine that just is invigorating. Um, and I couldn't help but wonder the other day, because it was particularly kind of gloomy and the clouds were hanging pretty low. And I, I just was wondering, you know, what people's did before my, before our times. Um, and, you know, on a day like that, what would our, um, the, the people, indigenous people who have walked the land long before, um, we arrived, what that, that day would have looked like for them and how they may see a day with sunshine differently than, than they saw a gloomy day, or maybe not because, you know, it's still a matter of finding the essentials um, and staying warm and staying connected and, and being fed. So no matter where we're gathering um, and listening from today for this podcast, recognizing that the land that we live and learn and play on is uh, significant both historically and presently to various um, First Nations populations, Métis, and if you're far enough north, Inuit as well, um, that understanding the land as kin and developing a relationship with the land um, that is reciprocal in nature is kind of the aim of, of the work of a land acknowledgement and understanding that um, we're, we're part of the puzzle, not the owner of the puzzle. Um, and so take a moment if you can today, if the sun is shining, soak some of that in and um, be grateful for the opportunities and the privileges that this particular season affords us. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. You know, you said, and if you, if you're lucky enough to live far enough North uh, and Inuit, interesting piece here. We had, I live now in, in deep Southern Alberta and uh, so in Blackfoot territory, but we had three Inuit students move into a small little community just almost a hamlet inside the school division. And uh, they said, you're talking about us. And so it is a people, not a place. Uh, and uh, and that's a beautiful thing for us to remember uh, as we're kind of working through there. Today, uh, we thought for just a, a, a little while, Charlie and I would share some of the things that we've been reading and some of the recent experiences we've shared together and apart with other uh, authors and presenters. And we want to start off this week, along with some educators here in Alberta, we had the opportunity of visiting with 
Naval Karoni. And Naval um, has an organization that uh, you can get to the website at nqcliteracy.org. And Naval's work is captured in all things literacy related, but literacy related as it relates to drawing on stronger uh, connections with caregivers. In fact, uh, her book has very recently been published and it's an absolutely beautiful book. I'm going to share a couple of excerpts from it in a second, but the book is titled Nourishing Caregiver Collaborations, Elevating Home Experiences and Classroom Practices for Collective Care. And all of it with an overarching lens on literacy. And, uh, you know, Charlie, we certainly have lots of stuff going on with literacy in the world. The science and sciences of reading, um, uh, an increased emphasis on phonics and phonemic awareness and things of that nature, a battle around how people, and I hate to use the word battle, but it sometimes seems like it sure is, uh, around how people acquire the ability to read. And that seems to be the focus, of, even though literacy has many pillars to it. It's so much bigger. And I think that's one of the things that I loved um, with both Naval's book and her presentation was um, a reminder of just how big literacy is and um, how we in school might view literacy or default our view of literacy to reading books. But much of a child's um, early literacy in particular engagement comes from the interactions with um, their, their caregivers and their community. And it's built through language and experience and questions and so many questions. Um, and just, you know, engaging in the day-to-day -day of things Yeah, that You're, I think sometimes we forget that. We do it. And it's, and it's, we're missing an opportunity. It's like an opportunity lost when you forget about it. And in the very foreword of the book, right at the very beginning, um, Cornelius Minor, who we've both had the opportunity to hear a couple of years back, and, and uh, he writes, when mothers sing to their children, that is literacy. When uncles debate cousins in barbershops, that is literacy. When neighbors compare movie previews to decide what to watch, that is literacy. When families grow vegetables, go fishing, do yard work, pay bills, play games, or drive home in the evening. All of these are rich opportunities to observe the world, think, form ideas, and build knowledge. The way that children do these things at home can inform how we strengthen those skills in school. Just thought, what comes to mind when you think of that? And, and it's such beautiful writing, but. Well, it's beautiful. I mean, I think it's about, and we talked about this in the session, but supporting parents in understanding and reminding parents and ourselves that that literacy is big and all-encompassing and every time that we're interacting or connecting with our children is an opportunity and a place where we grow understanding and literacy um and the more conversations that we can have with our kiddos the more success we're going to see in their reading and writing skill development. And so rooted, I think, in a lot of Naval's work 
and Cornelius was kind of alluding to this in his messaging, but the experience with oral language is kind of the, the bank that we withdraw from when we're starting to build out those reading and writing skills. And so the more we can grow that skill set and honor that skill set as a place of learning, um, the greater success our, our kiddos are going to have in school. When we first experience things through language that we hear um, and images that we see, long before we get those images to be something that's like an A or a B, there's still the image and the image gives us portions of the story. And that image might be on a screen, it might, and it could, it could be on a tablet, but on a television screen, it could just be an image you see as you're driving and you question or, or you begin to create a story in your head about that image. And one of the other things that Naval um, promotes and reminds us is um, our role in honoring home language use, um, mm. particularly for English language learners. And so um, we want to encourage students to be able to use multiple languages. We want to offer space for them to um, incorporate their home language in, in some of the work that we're doing in our classrooms. Um, and just really recognizing the, the value and um, the value add really of that caregiver relationship. And she at one point said, you know, it, we, it's like adding another teacher. So when you recognize that you've got what could potentially be just as many teachers um, in your classroom as you have students or more, then it maybe feels like a little less work sometimes um, and recognizing how we could be, how we could do that, how we could partner. Let's use our energy wisely. Isn't that the truth? And very early in the book, she, uh, Naval talks about what literacy is and frames it this way. When encountering caregivers who educational experience or world orientation differs from our own, we must hearken back to the foundation of our own training and the very definition of what literacy is. Literacy is language, the ability to convey ideas with purpose and nuance and reach common understanding with others. Literacy is connecting with people through art, body language, facial expression, and sound. Literacy, at its most basic, is effective communication. At its heart, literacy teaching is the teaching of what it means to be human. Isn't that beautiful? It, it really is. And like you say, you know, we, we might be sitting in the classroom, like no kindergarten teacher should feel that they're the sole arbiter of getting kindergarten students to a point where they're ready to and beginning to identify letters or read. No grade one, no grade two. If we have responsibilities for which we are compensated and employed and educated and expected to uh, attain, but it is so much better when it's a we in this together. And that, that we in, a, in it together is not just the mom or the dad or in the absence of either one of those or two moms, two dads, whatever. It's, it's, it's not just that. It can be older siblings. It's grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, aunties, uncles, nieces, cousins, the ubiquitous cousins. 
it's all and it and it's sesame street and <laughs> and uh, uh, the friendly giant uh, i'm it's going now see things. i'm dating myself i don't think friendly giant existed with you um, oh, i did. grew up with two channels cbc and cfcn oh i know who the friendly giant is my first dog mm. was named finnegan i'll have you know look up look way up. look way up i just like the teeny <laughs> tiny chairs um one of the things that I connected to when you were talking about, uh, you know, Naval's, that quote from Naval's book about what literacy is, it reminds me of, you know, that really broad definition of text that we have as language arts teachers. So our default brain might think text is the novel, text is the short story, text is whatever, but um, text is anything where the person experiencing the thing gleans meaning from it so mm -hmm. text is body language text is land text is art text is music and dance performance it is a chemistry experiment it is everything that we consume in some way that we glean meaning from and when you think of text that broadly then we can start to see how literacy is equally as broad. Isn't that the truth? When you think of it, um, you know, you've had, have you had occasion to be elsewhere in the world where the majority speak a language different than yours? Yes. And how did you come to understand uh, something was this when the person was referring to it in a word you didn't know? body language and pointing and gesturing and hopefully the thing is in front of us so we can all agree that this is the thing <laughs> visualizing the whole right? bit right and so when i think about that i think um and sometimes learning about it is, is kind of fun uh the word in japanese for ear is mimi okay uh, bread is sold bread is pawn and, and in Japanese, the only consonant you can end a word in is N. There, otherwise, it ends in a vowel, right? In the Japanese language. So, Mimi Pon, what do you think would be the ears of a loaf of bread? The ends. There you go. And the Japanese people generally do not eat the Mimi Pon, the ends of a loaf of bread. When I lived Me in neither. Japan, <laughs> <laughs> when I lived in Japan, the only bread I could afford, uh, or or my apartment with the others that I was sharing the apartment with could afford, was the Mimi Pond. So we could go to the baker, to the bakery, and we could buy like almost garbage bags of Mimi Pond for hardly anything. And <laughs> for, the two, for the two years I was there, the only French toast I ate was crust. <laughs> But still, my son, you know, my son currently has a loose tooth. That would not go over well. He's not a fan of the crust right now. No. And yet, That's but funny. here's the language and the shared understanding. And I remember being very early in learning my uh, the language in Japan and and having requested the Mimi Pond and them saying, something back and when I looked it up in the dictionary the word I didn't understand what they were saying is but that's the bread for the pigs 
right? <laughs> and the like, poor oh, Canadian who or, can't or afford the, the other yeah. parts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and um, the, the whole time there, you know, if you're walking down the street, so you could have young kids holler at you, uh, this is a pen, this is a pen, because that was something that I guess they felt really important to teach them that phrase. And so then I would take a pen in my hand and say, Koriwa pen des, Koriwa pen des, which is Japanese for this is a pen. <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of thing. One last there was, I had a young man come running across the street saying there was a conflagration, a conflagration. And I, I didn't know what conflagration was. It's an English word, but I didn't know what it is. Do you know what conflagration is? Like a grouping of something? I'd have to look no, it up. It's a big fire. Oh, okay. So I said, Nihongo de hanashite kudasai. Would you please speak in Japanese? And so then he said, he, which is fire. And I was like, oh, where? And how can we help? But he knew this big word, but he didn't know fire. And we had to get to a shared understanding. You know, it's just if we if we can embrace that uh, learning process without fussing too much about it and leverage, particularly as we see um, so many uh, people um, move with 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 different first languages as they've come to our country or any country if. Uh, and I wanted to start by, I've gone to another country and needed to learn the language. So I have some lived experience uh, of that, where you better learn the language or it's going to be a challenge. But I didn't have to teach my sons and daughters at that time. I didn't have a family at that time. And uh, I think this is the piece that she's trying to emphasize in this book, which we highly recommend to all teachers within the sound of our voice and beyond to lean into the microphone, to pick up a copy of Naval's book because the focus that she puts on the family and the, and the global connection, as you said, Charlie, you know, oh, we can't have one-to-one -one teaching. Uh, wait a minute. Yes, we can pretty close. If one of our co-teachers are the parents or grandparents or aunties and uncles, that are involved in this student who's in front of us with the other 24, 25, 30, 32 students, uh, that's where it can come if we make the connection. I was just going to say that the key there is also honoring the fact that the literacy work they are doing is equally as valuable as the one you think needs to be done. So it's not saying, hey, new teacher, friend that is a parent caregiver, um, do this and this and this and this. It's about saying, hey, I know that you're doing great things at home. Keep doing those things. And maybe here's some questions that you can ask your, your child um, to move that conversation along or how to share an experience and, and those kind of pieces. So it's not about telling your new co-teachers what to do. It's about honoring the fact that they are already doing work in the world of literacy. Well, and, and recognizing even that some of our students and as they're getting some formal instruction, depending on grade and age level and things of that nature in the language, they very well may be going home and helping their parents, grandparents acquire 
the language. Uh, Naval writes, and this will be the last quote I think I'll share today on this is, and I quote, the work of including all families. And so not just families learning a second language, all families. I should have, do I need to put like quote bracket? No, you guys got that. The work of including all families is a foundational endeavor to teach all children. I really love that word all when it's in documents. It needs to mean all. We cannot profess to value learning for every human if we do not value the sight of every human initial and most endearing learning, the family. Naval. Beautiful. Well, and I think that, you know, springboards us kind of nicely into, and, and I think we're getting better at this, uh, we collectively as teachers, um, and including texts from diverse voices, texts from, um, you know, authors that are portraying, say, mm -hmm. all kinds of, quote unquote, families. And we're going to post in the the notes, um, the link to Naval's website, but she also has on her site, um, a picture book list with diverse family representations to kind of, you know, expand what it is when we're talking about family. But I think one of the pieces um, to remember is that as we're honoring home language, that we're also bringing in text that is expanding students' understanding of different languages. And one of the books that I wanted to share, and I may not um, be saying the title correctly, um, Maja Gali, The Language of Seasons. It's written by Shauna Davis, who is from the Eagle Clan of the Gitskan Nation uh, in BC. And what I love about this book is um, it is a series of poems. It includes... Um, seasonal words in the in her language but all of the illustrations are um beading and uh hand cut paper designs as the illustrations and she's done it all it's all done by wow. the author it, it's absolutely gorgeous um so we talk about seasons in a couple of different areas in science we have poetry as a key feature in text forms and structures across the grades. And we have this invitation, if you will, um, from Naval that says, let's honor and celebrate all of the languages that are part of our classrooms. And so when we can look to build text collections that includes Indigenous language, I think is a really great first step. Well, and, and speak a little bit to something else that we're coming to know more and more about, at least perhaps, well, Charlie, you knew, you knew a lot about it before I did. I'm like an old high school English teacher and the whole multimodality piece is something that I wished I'd had more of. Apologies to all those I taught just right there who may be listening to this, but how she chose to incorporate art as part of this process. Can you touch base on that a little bit? Um, well, the the beading work, um, of course, is significant to many different um, Indigenous 
First Nations communities as a form of expression. Um, we'll see it on lots of um, regalia. And of course, it's evolved over time. Um, I don't want to use the word modernized, but, you know, um, different earrings or jewelry or, or things that maybe traditionally weren't um, items that traditionally weren't um, part of their First Nations clothing or attire, but the intricacy of um, the beadwork and it's laid against in some of the images like cedar boughs or moss collections, which would have been part of their region um, and the land that they um, lived on. And it's just a beautiful collaging of different um, art types that I think you could do a lot with um, whether it's inspiration as a mentor text or as a kicking off to looking at beading. Um, but it's absolutely, absolutely gorgeous as a book. Hmm. Beautiful. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and so this, it, it falls in the category of picture book as well then. Oh, it's totally a picture book. Totally a picture book. And, and while we're on the subject of picture books, picture books are obviously a great entry point and an opportunity for us as um, parents, adults in the lives or older siblings in the lives of new and um, discovering readers. And uh, one of the things that um, I've I'm blessed to have seven grandchildren, but none of my grandchildren live anywhere near me. Uh, they're five and 11 hours away. And so I've taken to, on my personal uh, YouTube account, uh, recording and posting books read by grandpa. And uh, in that process, again, just as you've chosen the language of the seasons as one book that you read to help uh, explore other cultures and other understandings it's important for to me as a grandfather to take opportunity to look for books that can reinforce some teachings or or provide some ideas uh, for my grandchildren i have one granddaughter who um really liked to be perfect like to do things perfect and if things weren't perfect then the recovery time was significant. So one of the books that I've recorded is uh, The Girl Who Never Made Mistakes by Mark Beat and Gary Rubenstein. And uh, it's a great little tale of a girl who was perfect and the whole town celebrated her perfection. And then uh, one day while trying to do a juggling act, um, a bit of pepper comes out and her pet mouse uh, sniffs the pepper and sneezes and the juggling act uh, goes kaplooey and the water balloon explodes and and it's her first big mistake but the recovery and the success and the uh, understanding that that's what life is all about nice moral to the story and away we go right uh, the most recent uh, one that i recorded and i visited with naval about this it's important, I, I think, for us to be reading to our children, grandchildren, whoever we're reading to, to be reading from a wide range of cultures and and backgrounds and 
different religious beliefs to give an opportunity for them to, to learn. And so uh, most recently I recorded uh, The Gift of Ramadan, which is written by Rabbi York Lombard and illustrated by Laura K. Horton. And it's a story of a little girl, Sophia, who wants to participate in Ramadan. And participation means fasting from sunrise to sunset for a, about a month. And uh, that's a long time. I mean, fasting can be found in many different religions. And certainly there's fasting in diet fads, but this is a young girl that wants to participate. And uh, the first day, it's very hard. She's got to get up before sunrise to have breakfast and uh, falls asleep. And her little brother is uh, younger and not required or expected or anything of that nature yet. And he's running around the house chasing her with a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> and uh, she goes to hide and hides in the food storage or the pantry and uh, takes a deep breath to try and recenter herself. And the smell of chocolate chip cookies in the pantry gets her. But she learns all of the other aspects of charity and kindness and not overreacting and, and uh, controlling your emotions that are also components. And the story ends with a beautiful summary of what Ramadan is in the author's notes. All of my grandchildren benefit from having a better understanding of the belief systems of uh, a population in this world that exceeds 1.3 billion people. And it's a, just a nice, easy way for them to continue to develop their literacy and their understanding. So if our listeners are interested, you can go to YouTube and and uh, in YouTube, you can search uh, Rick Gilson, uh, read by grandpa. So basically what the pattern I follow is the title of the book, dot, 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 read by grandpa. For his grandchildren and anyone else who cares to listen. That's lovely. I just think that's wonderful. Um, I, being able to share a book with anyone to me is still a wonderful use of time, no matter what. Um, I'm going to make a, a rather weak connection here, but we are in the month of February, <clears throat> which is home to the made up holiday uh, Valentine's <laughs> day sponsored by capitalism. And so um, if this is something you choose to celebrate and explore uh, with your students because you feel peer pressure to do so. I feel you. Uh, but there is a really great and very funny picture book called uh, Viking in Love by Dog Senko. And uh, it's about Stig, a Viking who um, does lots of Viking things, but he actually doesn't like the sea. He also has some kittens. So there's some cute kittens in the story. Um, and it's just a lovely little read aloud that you could use um, in the season of the made up holiday of Valentine's Day. Um, and personally, I would then use it as a jumping off point to talk about the word family of love, L-O-V-E, and talking about other words that are connected to the love family, like loving, unloved, loved, um, whatever that looks like. So I would use it as a morphology um, place 
jumping off point and a good laugh because it's a super funny story. That's uh, by Doug Zenko. Zenko. Zenko, yeah. Yeah. Now, it's Charlie, cute, you, cute one. you've got a natural jumping off point there to the ARPDC YouTube channel, as opposed to the channel I just previously mentioned, has a series on it called Morphology Monday. Maybe just a little bit, because it is your love of yours, as you just illustrated. It is. Yes, I can't help <laughs> can, myself. I just... Can you maybe touch on that a little bit? And we'll share the link in our, for our listeners there as well. Yeah. So my wonderful colleague, uh, Lana Lane, and myself offer a monthly session. Uh, it's 45 minutes. And we talk about morphology, something to do with morphology in that 45 minutes. Um when the the session is complete, we share out the recording link and all of the slides that go with that particular presentation. Um, and it's free. So you can sign up and um, you'll get the back episodes, issues, sessions, whatever you want to call them, as well as obviously being included in all the future offerings. What we did was last year, we ran this series as well. And so I pulled kind of the highlights and put them into a playlist called Morphology Monday Recap. And so you can see how our sessions have kind of grown and evolved over time. But um, if morphology is an area of interest and or panic for you, uh, we offer this as a space to slowly build um, your understanding around the system of English spelling and how it works, because it's not a piece of knowledge that many of us um, are, are naturally walking around with. So yeah, there's lots of resources available in and, um, and our, on our ARPDC resources site as well. Now you said it's not something where many of us have dove into, but what's the advantage of just even taking, taking the time with these um, the videos that you've, you've edited down or about 30 minutes in length and what's the advantage to a, an educator in any subject but language arts in particular with taking the time to put these on uh, while they're driving and listen to them or engage in watching them while they're on the treadmill what's what's the what's the benefit well uh, there's a couple of things one you know if you're watching the recap you can hear us in real time be wrong and have to fix our mistakes. And why that's important is because um, we are learning alongside. And so this isn't about us having all of the knowledge. And I don't believe it's about teachers having, quote, all of the knowledge. I think it's about us being willing to engage in a process that allows us to look at English spelling with um, curiosity and knowing that there is a system and a pattern in place. And so trying to figure out what that word is doing in the great scheme of, of spelling. Um, secondly, it's um, really just slowly building your understanding around morphology. Um, and I think that if we can learn some of these things in small doses, um, it's a little easier for us to manage and work with than if we're trying to learn it all kind of on the front end. There you go. And on the ARPDC YouTube channel, we have created a, a band of a playlists that are literacy focused for you. And 
and other subjects as well. But that's another good uh, shopping spot. Thanks for sharing that, Charlie. Do you have another uh, um, book that you'd like to touch on? Oh, do I? The, I'm well, I'm kind of like Carrie in this way. Like I just have all the books and then at some point you're just going to tell me to stop talking. Um, so another book that I have recently discovered and it is not a, it's not a new book. It's old. Like it came out originally, I think in 2013 or 2016. Um, yeah, 2013. It's over. Oh my gosh. That was 10 years ago, friends. Let's not say that out loud. Anyway, um, it's called Little Red Writing. And it's a fun little book, uh, a little riff on Little Red Riding Hood. She is a little red pencil um, and she's at school and her teacher, Miss Two, like number two pencil, um, tells them that today they're going to write a story. And so she goes on in a little adventure um, trying to figure out what her story will be as she goes through this. She um, goes through the gym where the verb action fitness program is happening. She goes through the deep, dark, descriptive forest where there are describing words written on the leaves. Um, and then there's a little sign that says, watch out for adjectives on the path. And so as she comes across all of these pieces that we would use in writing instruction, her story changes. And so she comes across... Um, some conjunction glue and she squeezes the bottle and too many glue words came out. And so then she gets this run on sentence with all kinds of conjunctions in them. Um, and then the, the adverbs van um, drives by and it says adverbs, we deliver speedily. And so now her story has adverbs in it. And so it goes on and on. Um, and you could use this book for so many things. One, talking about writing and the writing process. Two, talking about page layout and design. Um, it has got some amazing illustrations um, and use of almost like that collaged um, look when it comes to the picture. Um, of course, you could talk about the allusion to the Red Riding Hood and, and how is it the same and how is it different. Um, how does it help us understand this story, knowing the story of the Little Red Riding Hood? What if you read the story and you didn't have that background? Um, and I, I just think it would be a really great book to even just have in your collection as a fun little thing for students to grab onto in that time when you're going to go do your adverb lesson or your conjunction lesson. We read, read that page or look at that page as kind of the the hook um, before you start talk about it with your students. Fantastic. What about you, Rick? What else is on your list? Thanks, Charlie. Yeah, I do have, I do have a couple more here to share. And one I want to talk about is one that we gifted to uh, the school divisions across Southern Alberta uh, for Christmas instead of a box of candy or or things of that nature, you know, thank you for working with us. And, and the idea being that they would put the book in circulation in their division library and across their schools. And it's a book by a little known author by the name of Matthew McConaughey. Hmm, never heard of him. <laughs> Weird. Um, so I recorded this one for my grandchildren as well. 
And undoubtedly, because the title says Just Because by Matthew McConaughey, read by Grandpa, uh, it's got a lot of hits. Um, people probably looking for the Matthew McConaughey, Jimmy Fallon version where they sing a part of the book. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, the premise of the book is, is absolutely beautiful. And um, the pattern of the book is all with the illustration with each of the sentences. And, and it's just because, and then something doesn't mean, and then the rest of it. So for example, just because I'm finished doesn't mean that I'm done. And the graphic on this one was just great for me because it so reminded me of my youth. It shows I've got the, the, there's a girl in bed with a blanket up and a little book by her pillow. And mom is clearly turning the lights off in the bedroom. And then the, doesn't mean that I'm done shows the same little girl under the blanket with her book open and a flashlight. And uh, in my youth, I was in a bunk bed situation. Um, uh, four boys, two sets of bunk beds in the two bedrooms, you know, a set of bunk beds in each bedroom, a younger brother below me, he would want the light out. I wasn't finished reading the Hardy boys book I was reading. I needed to read more. Mom would come in to settle the fight before the fight happened. Not that I couldn't have beat him up. I was the oldest. But uh, the, that was kind of the whole deal. And she turned the light off and then I would get my flashlight out and keep on reading. Um, so there's things like that. But there's also great um, little bit of morals, um, character development pieces inside here with the just because doesn't mean. For example, just because you wrote it doesn't mean that I read it. And in this one... Uh, the, it shows a table with some cupcakes and a little note. And in my reading, I actually read the little note. It says, for the party, do not eat. And it shows the little brother taking a cupcake off the table and eating it. Now, um, below it, it says, just because I did it again, doesn't mean I don't regret it. And so he's got crumbles of another cupcake crumbling down on the floor behind him. Right. And uh, one of the other ones that I really liked was one around uh, just, uh, yeah, I can't believe it. I scrolled right to it. Just because you're wailing doesn't mean that you're a crier. And it's a little sister who hit a baseball through the window. Right. And the next image, just because I lied, doesn't mean that I'm a liar. And it's the big brother holding the baseball bat, saying it was him, as you see a hand with the ball, and the uh, obviously, and his little sister is kind of hiding behind him. So, you know, the notion of the big brother taking it, taking the punishment for his little sister's hitting the ball through the window and saying it was him. So he did lie, but he's not a liar. So there's these kind of things all the way through the book. And the feedback nice. we got from the school divisions was was really, really good. It just it's an it's a lovely little read and it's a great one to to you don't have to read the whole book. You could read one and just have a what what does this mean, you know, with this grandson or this son or daughter or whatever the case may be. Really like the book. 
Well, and I think that makes a really nice connection to some of the concepts in the physical education and wellness um, K to six, oh, right? Character um, development, organizing idea. Absolutely. Yeah. And just, you know, how do we kind of separate behaviors from people and what you do is not who you are and all that kind of stuff. Um, I have another book, but it's maybe a little less heartwarming. Um, <laughs> it's called Killer it's Underwear like Invasion. Oh, my. Yeah. How to Spot Fake News, Disinformation and Conspiracy Theories. It is a, I would say, middle school. Well, I'll, my son in grade three read it. He thinks it's quite funny. Um, it's a, got a graphic novel format. And Elise Gravel is the author. Um, but it's fantastic because it explains to kids what disinformation is. What is fake news? How does it spread? Why would it spread? Um, and at a time when, you know, this sort of thing is rampant. Um, these are good skills to to share with our students. More importantly, you know, understanding the difference between opinion and fact and bias and all of those kinds of things are concepts that are in um, somewhat in grade five, totally in grade six um, ELAL curriculum. And so this could be a great book to add to your classroom library. Um, I always find graphic novels challenging to do as any kind of a read aloud, but sharing it with students and it's funny, like anything with killer underwear has to be funny. So um, kids, kids like it. And it just, it breaks things down in a really nice way that is totally appropriate for them to develop some of those critical thinking skills. Hmm. Uh, how would grandpa attack uh, reading this for his grandchildren? I, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, there's definitely little, some little dialogue. Portions? Maybe, maybe little portions. I mean, obviously you've got the page up, so, you know, they could take a moment, you could do some zooming in on different parts of the action before you voice over like the, the next dialogue piece. Um, it could be done. Interesting. It could mm -hmm. be done. Might have to wrap my head around that a little bit. Add that to the I list. Like, certainly. I wish, I wish it wasn't necessary, but oh my goodness gracious, what people are selling and buying or believe in <laughs> in this world today. You're like, can I just stay in my house in my backyard and be safe? I, I don't know. No, the world's flat, the Charlie. No. It's a flatter than flat. Truly is. No, no, it's not, folks. Sorry, don't believe me. I want you to believe everything I say except that. <laughs> uh, I see you've got some some Covey books on your list. Talk us talk well, to us about. Those would be a little bit more along the line of professional reading. That's okay. I, let's I jump there. Th let's jump over to that. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so um, Stephen M. R. Covey. So St Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, still, I think, probably the best-selling of all the self-help books in history. Um, so his son has come out with a book called Trust and Inspire. How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. And Trust and Inspire is presented as the opposite of command and control. So, you know, leaders in any way, shape, or form, in your from your family unit, your friend circle, uh, up to um, running a school, school division, or any other business for that matter, you have the ability to command and control a very um, 
specific form of leadership, actually. It works best maybe in the military. I don't know. Um, or, uh, and he's presenting in this book, the notion of trust and inspire. And uh, I, I particular, I, I've been caught by many, but in this scenario here where we are with school, if we can trust, if we can build trust and inspire our students, one of the pieces that Covey uh, writes, and I'll quote, is many students are motivated to get a degree. I might replace the word degree with get a high score in a course or a high stakes exam, such as a diploma exam, right? So many students are motivated to get a high score, a high grade, a good grade. Some are inspired to get an education. There's a world of difference between the two, both in the chosen path and especially in the outcome. And so I, I'm, I find myself right now quite entertained by the notion of what are the aspirations? What is it that we want to achieve with our students? And what are the behaviors that will help them achieve it? I, I don't think I ever aspire to have you know, a whole bunch of students who get this score on this single exam. But to have a whole bunch of students who will be learners and who will be curious and, and all that, it, it goes all, all the way back to when when I was coaching football and I was blessed to coach over 60 football teams in my career, in my life. I certainly wanted athletes to go on and play in junior college, junior situations, university, and even the pros. And I've had some who've made it to here in Canada, the CFL. In fact, I was blessed to coach a young man in on a provincial team that played for the Indianapolis Colts and Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL. If Go I, sports or team. May, or, maybe, or maybe it was Carolina Panthers. But anyway, um, but the more important thing was to inspire them to be the best fathers they could be, the best husbands they could be, the best employers, the best employees. And if you didn't do that, then you missed the point. And I think it's the same for us, right? When we're working with these students, if we can inspire them to be learners, to be thirsty, be thirsty, my friend, to steal a line from a commercial that of a beverage I do not drink, but <laughs> just the same, that that's going to do them more good in the long run than any single assignment or or mark will ever do. Um, and and it's that type of uh, of read. It's a very good read for anyone who's interested in any form of leadership. And as I always say when we talk about leadership, the very first person you lead is yourself. So any leadership book that you acquire, add to your library, you should be reading that for you first. How does this apply in my life? And then see how it extends out from there. It's very, very wise advice today, Mr. Gilson. I appreciate oh. that. Hmm. Um, I've got a, remember, I've got a rem remember, Charlie, I'm closer to 90 than I am to 30. My dad uses that line all the time. I think it's really, funny. he's yeah. closer to 90 than me. I think maybe he, he might be a little bit closer, marginally closer to 90. Um, 
the the teacher resource that I've recently um, picked up and have been shouting from the rooftops from anyone that will listen to me is um, called Text Structures from Picture Books, Lessons to Ease Students into Text Analysis, Reading Response, and Writing with Craft. Um, in part because it checks so many boxes in relationship to new curriculum implementation. Um, the term mentor texts comes up in multiple places within the new curriculum. It's a phrase that we've used quite a bit um, in our workshops and in our conversations. Um, we know that asking students to engage in a, a reading response type writing or conversation activity is a great way to build comprehension and you know check for some of those things that we need to check for. Um, and what I particularly love about this resource is um, the front part of it talks about how you could use the lessons in the book if you want to teach and start with writing, do this. If you want to teach and start with reading, use them this way. And then it offers for every lesson an opportunity for you to go even further into any one of kind of the three areas that they have in the book, which is um, looking at it from an author's craft or writer's craft lens, looking at it through an analysis lens, and looking at it through that reader response lens. Um, so the structure is, is fantastic. What is great, great. It gets greater. Like, can you tell I'm excited? Um, greater. It gets greater. Uh, it is then followed by 50 lessons for picture Whoa. books that the majority of the population have either in their classroom library, their school library, or could easily access from the public library. Um, so I like it because it's not requiring you to go out and buy a whole bunch of more stuff. Um, it's got some really good anchor charts at the back for, you know, you to remember the different structures and things that they're talking about. It has a book at the very or list at the front that's got the 50 books and what is the text structure of that book? What is the writer's craft move that we're going to look at through that book? Um, and yeah, I've, there are just so many great things in here. Um, so The Dot is one of the books. Invisible oh. Boy, um, The Adventures of Beekle, The Unimaginary Friend, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, The Bad Seed, The Day the Crayons Quit. Like these are all books. We don't eat, we don't eat our classmates. Like we, we have all of these books <laughs> in our collections. Um, and I think that... It's just, it's one of those things where I, I don't believe in saving anyone from thinking. I, I don't believe in that. No. However, when the plates are full and time is of the essence, it's really nice to have a resource that I could jump off from and a resource that I could replicate that framework for any book. My one like wish and again, uh, this would just because of my own pet passion is I would extend each lesson with a little bit of like, and here's how you could teach morphology with it. Um, but that's Naturally. just me, right. But was he, um, yeah. 
you 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 said something there about you know I I I don't want to uh, encourage not thinking, but you wouldn't want a teacher to just grab this and just do. You'd want them to think about how how it fits in the ethos of their class routines and and where they're at. And if it was you, like if I had recommended this book to you and you picked it up and you took a look at it, you would naturally say. And you know what? I'm going to tack a little morphology on the end of this, and that's great. You know, take whatever all our listeners. You know, you take what's shared and you say, okay, how does this apply to me? How does this allow me to grow? What what new? Uh, we we hear a lot about right mirrors, windows, and sliding doors. Well, some of these are in different ways on our professional practice, mirrors, windows, and sliding doors. Absolutely. I think the other piece that I um, appreciate about this when I wear my junior high teacher hat, Mm. because I put that on from time to time still, um, I could see where I could take a picture book lesson around a particular text structure or a particular reader response structure that I want students to experience first in a um, easy win sort of way. I'm going to do it with the picture book. Now I'm going to level up. We're going to use the same structure conversation or the same reader response form framework, but now we're going to read a more complex text and then we're going to read a more complex text. And so, you know, it provides us a really nice way to scaffold some of that work um, with even our, our higher students. So I would say, you know, I would use this resource from anywhere from probably grades two to eight, um, probably even into grade nine if I wanted to. Oh, look on the back, it even says grades two to eight. So there you go. Well, yeah, look at that. But with the, with the explanation that you just provided, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, almost all, well, all my teaching was grade nine to 12. So would I look at this book that has somebody who said it's two to eight and go, yeah, no way I could use that. No, I would look at that and go, okay, what do I need to do? What's the other, here's the entry point because a grade 12 will read a cartoon or, or a picture or whatever the case may be. Here's the entry point. And then like you said, and here's a paragraph or an article that builds on it at this grade 12 level now with this other thing that we're talking about, how can we make that connection? Well, and that's a really nice segue into another book that I want to suggest to folks, because not everyone I'm learning has, and I don't even think it's the ability. It's really just the the energy left at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It, so it, we don't all have the, the bandwidth to be making or reading um, resources in this way. But... Uh, Poetry Pauses by Brett uh, Singer. Is that how you, I don't know how to say his that, last that, name. That is how I would say it, Brett Vogelsinger. Okay. Um, it doesn't quite roll off my tongue very nicely. Anyways, um, so Beautiful. Poetry Pauses is a, like grade nine up would be the mm-hmm. audience for it. It's a basically a high school resource. And what Brett does is he uses poems every day in his classrooms to teach many things, not just poetry. And so he looks at poetry as a mentor text for particular writers' moves that they then replicate in all kinds of text forms. Now, when I read this, however, 
I thought, okay, what would this look like in a middle school, elementary classroom? How could I take some of the questions that, that Brett offers or some of the structures he uses to talk about poetry with his students? How could I use that in a younger grade? And I absolutely see connections um, to that, but that is not explicit in the text. So if you don't have the, the bandwidth to pull that off, totally understandable. Um, we do have, speaking of poetry, some new resources added to the ARPDC resources site for poetry in grades four, five, and six in relationship to the new um, curriculum implementation. And I did take inspiration from this particular book. Um, but he not only talks about routines and structures that he uses to build familiarity with his students um, and poems, but he includes access to over a hundred poems through his wow. online piece to the book. And so it's like, Hey, I use this poem. You don't need to then go look for it. Cause he gives you the poem. Right. So and it's it, pretty handy. Fair, fair warning to our listeners. Uh, this is a textbook book. And so Amazon or elsewhere, it's um, not inexpensive. It's in that 47, 41 Kindle version price range. But I, I, I've often mused about this. Wellness is a component of health, right? Absolutely. So, so if I had this book, would that contribute to my wellness enough that I could use my health spending account to pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> that might be a stretch. But what I would um, do is say... Hey, hey, friendly librarian person, do we have any money in our PD funds, like the, the stuff for teacher resourcing, where this could be a resource for the school, not just for me in my classroom, right? Or, hey, department head, yeah. do we well, have a budget of course. that we can there kind of- There are so many ways. Not that anybody has ever skinned a cat that I'm aware of, but there are so many ways I'm told to skin a cat. I, I don't so, even know where that saying comes from, but it is a little bit disturbing. Can you do, is there such a thing as morphology for phrases? That, uh, oh, there sure of, is. Of, of course there is. Of course there is. Well, yes, we could well, dig into that. I think we're we're drawing to a close for for this um, visit. You know, um, perhaps uh, one last quote. It comes from a, a book. It, it's a quote of a quote. So there we go. But it's it's in a uh, the last book. Oh, sorry. Before I do that, I do have to pause and say, ladies and gentlemen, one other professional book, "Cultures of Thinking in Action" by Ron Richard. Uh, I believe this will be quite likely Ron's last professional book that he's planning to publish. I don't want to speak for him on that, but I get the sense that he's thinking that this brings it to a close. Ron introduced making thinking visible, the power of making thinking visible, creating cultures of thinking, and now this closing one, cultures of thinking in action. And it is fantastic work that allows us to work with our students to help them see their thinking and work through their thinking. It ties in with Harvard's Project Zero website that Ron was heavily involved in throughout his career uh, as a member of, of the uh, um, faculty at, at Harvard uh, in education. And uh, parenthetically, Ron is presenting uh, a series 
here in Alberta. That's a four-part series, uh, um, Cultures of Thinking Fellows, that starts um, Wednesday after Valentine's Day. Uh, you can join it a little bit late to catch up. So here's the deal, perhaps to close. You know, we're all... Um, have been in education for a very long time. Well, I don't know how long all of our listeners have been in education, but I'm coming into like 40 years and uh, it feels like it's been a very grand adventure. We're given challenges at different times. Even as you're listening to some of these books that Charlie and I have suggested and you're like, oh yeah, but I don't. And okay, as we all get to respond to the prompts that come our way. And when you get right down to it, we own our responses. And uh, that's, that's a teaching. Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning that when you take a look at books read by people around the world, that book, it's a very small book, has been read a great deal. Well, in this last book that Stephen R. Covey wrote in his life, it's called Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. He shares the, the principle of how important it is that we control how we act. And he does so with a quote from Viktor Frankl that says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. So whatever comes at you and stimulates you, what you're listening to, what, what someone says, what a student does, what a parent, what, whatever. There's always a space between whatever happens and your response. Continuing with the quote, within that space lies our freedom and power to choose our response. In those choices lie our growth and happiness. Close quote. So we uh, choose to strive to continue to learn and try to support um, all of you who take the time to listen. And uh, in the process, we know for sure uh, that we grow from each other's conversation and the conversation of our guests. And we look forward to continuing to do that. And we invite you to press pause, reflect, accept, or decline the invitations to use any of the resources that have been shared. But do know that when we speak of people like the work of Naval Caroni, we are positive that if you to borrow from Indiana Jones, choose wisely, you and your students will benefit. And with that, Charlie, any final thoughts? And we'll, we'll close off. Well, it's always great to be able to talk and share books. Um, and this one definitely had a more of a professional vibe than a personal vibe or a personal read vibe. Um. I will maybe close with uh, one suggestion that uh, was quite enjoyable recently that I read was uh, Hello Beautiful by Anne. Oh, boy. Napolitano. Napolitano. Thank you. I was doing some syllabication work there in my head. Um, just great, great story of um, some sisters spans, you know, several years in time. Um, and it was just a, it was a lovely read. So that would be my most recent one of my recent i read a lot of books in the month of january i think i hit 20 books oh in january uh, but that was a good one it was a good month it was a good all month. right 
Well, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, this is Rick and Charlie closing off another episode. And we look forward to joining you again in the very new near future. Take care. Stay awesome. <laughs> <laughs>